All right, if you brought your Bibles with you today, let me uh, invite you to open up once again to John chapter uh, 9, and I'll pick up the reading from verse 18 where we left off earlier as Rex read the beginning for us. If, uh, if you didn't bring your own Bible, the passage is printed in your bulletins or on page 9, uh, pardon me, 895 of those blue Bibles that are in front of you. Before I continue this reading, let, let me just remind us that we're reading a story today that is thematically connected to that which has preceded it. All of the things that we've looked at in John chapter 8 are rolled into this passage that we're looking at today as well. Remember that when we started John chapter 8, we saw Jesus starting with the statement, I am the light of the world, and everything else flowed out of that initial declaration that he made. Uh, as the light of the world, the good news about that is that he reveals truth, he reveals salvation, he reveals a way of everlasting life, namely in him and by keeping his word. So that's the good news of him being the light of the world is that he reveals truth. But in addition to that good news of revelation, there's another side to it. And the other side to it is that as the light of the world in the world, he exposes untruth. He reveals the, the hidden parts of the heart that we would otherwise like to pretend that they're not there. We'd otherwise like to look away from them. And he reveals truths that show that, in fact, uh, mankind, because we descend from uh, Satan because of the fall, we are liars. We're murderers like our father. And so the light does both of these things at the exact same time, depending on how the response is to that light. It reveals truth and it exposes lies. Jesus, in essence, is full of light and truth and life. And we, in essence, because of the fall into sin, are full in and of ourselves of darkness, of lies, and of murder. John 9 shows us all of this truth that was there in John chapter 8 in a particular person and one particular story. So with that, let me continue this reading for us, beginning at verse 18, and I'll take it through the end of the chapter. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Asked him, ask him, he is of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. 
we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Lord God, how precious this word is to us. How wonderful it is. Jesus, we would see you today as we stand before this living word, as we are under this living word, we would see you. And so we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. A long time ago, in a garden far, far away, a serpent promised that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened. He was a liar, and he was a murderer. As they swallowed the fruit, falsehood and death came into the world, came into our souls, and we, we humanity, developed an eye for and a taste for sin. We became spiritually blind, although there was an opening of the eyes to that which is evil. In the ages that were to come, if we were to look through the scriptures as a whole, 
we see that prophecies are made of one who would come, one who would restore sight, and one who would come into the world and usher in a new kingdom, a kingdom of light. And all the world would be able to see by the light of this one who was coming into the world. An example of that is what you read on the front of your bulletin this morning. This one will come as a light for the nation to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out of prison those who otherwise sit in darkness. Years later, one of those prisoners sitting in darkness was a man by the name of John the Baptist, and John had been pretty sure that the one had come, that, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, had come into the world, and that he was the one, he was the one who was going to usher in this kingdom of light, but now he sits in prison, and he sits in darkness, and he wonders whether or not this is the one, because my circumstances don't look good at all. It looks like I'm about to be killed, and so he sends his messengers, and he sends the messengers out to Jesus, who asked Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? And Jesus sends word back through the messengers to John, to the one sitting in darkness. And he says, tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. And number one on the list of what you are to tell John is that the blind receive their sight that people who were blind see. It is the dawning of the new age, the dawning of the kingdom of God in this world. Tell John that today the Word of God takes us to the eye doctor to uh, check our vision. And we begin as we look at this passage today with what we'll call original blindness. And there's a play here that's going, original blindness and then the questioning of this original blindness. So let's for a few moments just walk through this passage and make sure we understand the outlines of what is presented here before us. Jesus and his disciples pass by a man who is immediately identified as a man who has been blind from birth. And as they look at him, this gives rise to a theological question from the disciples. Note that it does does not give rise to a desire or an effort to help in some way, but instead to a theological question. And the question is this, why is he like this? What happened? How did he get like this? What's the origin of his blindness? Now, we could spend, of course, sermons upon sermons talking about an understanding of suffering and why this might be the case, considering a question like this. We're not going to do that uh, today. Basically, the disciples see a cause and effect relationship between sin and suffering. Suffering, in this case, is the blindness of this man. So, one causes the other. And they are looking for, in asking this question of Jesus, the particular antecedent, the particular cause for this particular man to be experiencing this particular suffering. 
Jesus, can you put all of that together for us? Because there's so many questions we have about evil in this world. Can you just put it all together for us? Was it him? Or was it his parents? Who was it? The question, or we could say at least the assumption, the presupposition behind the question is akin to that that belonged to the counselors of Job as well, if you remember them. The, the idea is that we should somehow always be able to pin this down specifically. If we just had enough information, we would be able to establish the correspondence between blindness and what took place in order to cause it. That's the, the assumption that they have, and Jesus corrects them. While it is true that all sin and suffering can ultimately be traced back to original sin, and while it is true that sometimes we can see direct consequences for particular sins, sometimes that is available, it is usually the case that a one-to-one -one correspondence is either not seen, not present, indiscernible for us, or not the point. It's not the point. And, and so, as Jesus is dealing with them in this particular section, what he wants to say is, that's not the point right now. The point right now isn't a question of being able to attribute this to something or someone in particular. This suffering, suffice it for now, is sufficient to say that it exists within the broad ultimate sphere of the sovereignty of God. Not outside of it, but inside of the sphere of the sovereignty of God. And now, as Jesus looks at it, now is not the time to question to try to figure out all of the whys and wherefores of this particular blindness for this man. Instead, now's the time to work. It's the time for me to work. It's the time for you to work. It's the time for us to work. Why? Because I'm the light of the world. Now, that's not said in exactly the same way as it's said uh, back in chapter 8, but the point is effectively the same. While I am in the world, this is a time to work. This is the time to open the eyes that are blind and to see that this man can see. And so we have original blindness, this blindness from birth. That is the issue, although even here at the beginning, we'll see that we're talking about something that is physical and something that is spiritual as well. Of course, the reality is the physical is more apparent to us. The idea of being blind, that immediately we can get a sense of what that mess must be like. But in fact, the latter, the spiritual side of this, is more significant. So we move from the original blindness question to the gift of sight and the questioning of the gift of sight. Jesus sees the man. He declares that it is time to work, and Jesus responds according to who Jesus is, the light of the world, and the blind man receives his sight, and everyone, everyone in the story 
has questions about it. Everybody wants to know what just happened, how did it happen, who did this, who's responsible for it, and what does it all mean? And we have questions about it as well. And if you followed along, here's what I suspect are some of the questions that are in your mind. Why the spit? Why the mud? Why putting it on the ground, why, or picking it up off the ground? Why putting it on the eyes? Why send the man off to this particular pool to go and wash it off? Why not, if you're the light of the world, just say, blindness be gone? Or, or for that matter, why not just put a hand on him, okay? If, that, if you want to do something, why not just put a hand on him and heal him? Now, as for why that particular pool, maybe, as is referenced in John, uh, it's, it's the pool meaning scent. Maybe it's a reference to Jesus being the scent one. Are you ready for my scintillating answer to the rest of those questions? My answer is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly why Jesus did it in this particular way. There are any number of assumptions. Can I just please ask you, afterwards, when I'm standing back there, don't come back and tell me why uh, it was done this way. I, I've read them. I've read them. They're, they're not the point. I think it is enough for us to know that our Lord saw fit in these circumstances to do it this way because this was going to be best for everyone that's involved here. This was going to allow this entire scene to take place in the way that it played out. For me, that's enough. It's, it's not enough for you. I can't answer uh, the questions that you might have about it. Everyone's astonished, right? And the story is written in a way that makes it abundantly clear that this wasn't a hoax. Uh, this wasn't a hoax, and it wasn't just a little bit of tweaking of the guy's vision. In other words, he didn't go to the vision doctor and just get a greater prescription somehow on his glasses or just get something washed out of his eyes or an infection cleared up from his eyes by the way Jesus did this. No, it is a healing of a man who was originally blind. And the questions begin and the questions, of course, grow in intensity as we work our way through the story. Initially, the neighbors are the first to question what has taken place here. They're incredulous, right? They've known this man for all of his life. They've seen him. They've seen what he suffers with. And they can't believe the transformation. It's astonishing to them. Can we, we have to do puns in this sermon. They can't believe their eyes. They cannot believe what they're seeing. But under questioning, he confirms, I'm the man. I'm the one you know, I'm the one you've always known, and the man named Jesus did this. Mind you, he's never seen Jesus. He's never seen Jesus. He's spoken with Jesus. He, he, he's, he's had this activity, but he himself has never seen Jesus at this point. So, the neighbors take him to the Pharisees. Now, taking him to the Pharisees, we shouldn't see this as if they doubt him or as if he's under arrest or something like that. They take him to the Pharisees because everybody is trying to comprehend and make sense of what's just taken place. How do we understand this? What does it mean? God is seemingly at work here. How do we rejoice and how do we give praise for this? How could it have happened? And along the way, we learn that this healing took place on the Sabbath. Now, we can expect that to spell trouble. 
okay? We've already seen that back in John chapter 5. The healing of a lame man was done on the Sabbath. They didn't get it then. They're not going to get it now. So as soon as we read, ah, it was on the Sabbath, which we didn't know until that point, we know difficulties ahead, okay? Drama ahead when this gets to the Pharisees. And so he gives the report, again, to the Pharisees, to the leaders who were there, and they're split. They're split when they're listening to what is taking place because on the one hand, they want to say, listen, we know that he's done the wrong thing. He's done this work. He himself called it a work, at least to his disciples. He's done it on the Sabbath. That's wrong in and of himself. But then you have another group that are going, okay, yeah, but, you know, the blind guy sees now. Here's the reality, and we know he's a sinner. So how do we bring this all together? How do we make sense out of these things that are apparently contradictory to one another? And so they asked the man, what's your opinion? Since he opened your eyes, and by the way, I didn't even count them up myself, but the phrase open your eyes or open his eyes is used multiple times throughout this passage to get us to sorry, see the point, sorry, that's an unintentional pun, hard to avoid uh, in this sermon. What do you have to say about it? And the man provides an answer that is just like, at this point, the woman at the well. He's a prophet. That's what she said, right? Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And we can say that at this point, this man is actually beginning to see. And, of course, they don't believe. So they don't believe what he's saying. And so his parents are called. And the parents, when they come onto the scene, and it's it's a little bit hard to read into a story or try and know all of the details here, but when they come in to give their testimony, they affirm two things, right? A, this is our son, and B, yes, he was born blind. But beyond that, we can't tell you anything. How it is that he sees, how and who did this to him, we can't tell you anything, though apparently they know. Because we read specifically that they didn't want to say anything else for fear of the Jews. For fear that if you make that confession that Jesus is the Christ, if you say that, well, you're going to be cast out. You're you're going to be gotten rid of. And they were afraid of that. And so, and, and, and again, this is a little bit tough to read it this way. So they say, ask him. They, they push it off. He's of age. Ask him what took place. Well, whatever, whatever's behind that exactly, it seems negative to me, but whatever's behind it, the reticence that is shown by the parents to make the confession that Jesus is the one who healed, it opens up the rest of this force. It allows the man to come back on stage and to give his glorious testimony. Now, as we move forward in this story, it becomes increasingly clear that we are not just talking about physical blindness and sight that the backdrop for all of this conversation or or what this conversation really is getting at is actually what we saw right in the very beginning. Sin is the question here because sin causes this. So let's go not only to the thing, but let's go back 
to the root behind the thing. Let's talk about sin. And really what we're talking about, who in the story is able to see who Jesus is and who is not. And, and we'll see two things emerging here. One is increasing blindness on the part of some and increasing sight on the part of the other. So the Pharisees are there and they find themselves in a tough spot. They've got a conundrum on their hands. They, the Pharisees, profess to be able to see clearly. They can understand things. They are, we are, after all, they say, we are disciples of Moses. Now, in the chapter just before this one, they said, we're the children of Abraham. Here we are the disciples of Moses. We know the Word of God. We are able to see clearly, and yet they don't know what to make of this man who is standing in front of them. It's getting awfully hard to deny what they can see, the fact that this man is standing here and he can see. So their idea is maybe if we hear the story one more time, if we get him to tell us this one more time, maybe we will hear where the problem is. Maybe, maybe we, we just didn't hear the whole thing correctly. There's something that is wrong in this story. There's something being untold in this story. So let's hear it again. And maybe we'll get a clue. Maybe we will figure out what that is. So they call him back in and begin with a twofold assertion. One, a command to the man, give glory to God, and an assertion. We know that this man, that is to say Jesus, not the man born blind, we know that this man is a sinner. Now, originally, the question in the chapter was whether the man born blind or his parents were sinners. Okay. Tell us, which one of those are sinners? Now, we've gone on to say, no, 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 Jesus is the sinner in the story. We know this man is the sinner. And as the questioning continues, their confusion, their obfuscation, their blindness becomes ever more evident. They are looking for evidence against Jesus and building a case against themselves. The more they question, the more it weighs upon them. We do not know where he comes from, they say. Well, this is, and the man is astonished by this, right? Now, he probably wasn't there for all of the conversations that we've been in on for the last three chapters, because for the last three chapters, Jesus has been trying to answer the question, where I come from? Back in John chapter 6, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. <laughs> and, and they want to know, wait a minute, isn't he from, don't we know him? We know his parents. I know Joseph is his father. What's he talking about? He's the bread that came down from heaven. In chapter 7, we know him. We know where he's from. He comes from Nazareth. 
In chapter 8, Jesus says to them, you don't know where I've come from. I have come from above. I've come from my Father, but you don't know where I have come from. Jesus has been telling them three chapters in a row where he comes from, and they still don't know where he comes from. What does that mean? You're not listening. You're not listening. Because he's been telling you straight up where he comes from. The demonstration of where he comes from is right in front of them. Right in front of them is a man who was born blind, who now sees, who is giving them testimony. Jesus did it. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Not just in the creation. That's a reference from uh, Romans 1. Not just in the creation. It's been spoken. The word has been declared clearly about where Jesus comes from. They're thus choosing willful darkness and blindness. And this poor, formerly blind man just, you know, standing there, getting used to colors. Wow. Look at the colors all around this place. Look at, the, look at the shapes. I didn't know about the architecture of things. This man who is standing there calls them out for it. He says, this is amazing. You don't know where he comes from? Seriously, seriously, you don't know where he comes from as if he's saying, listen, isn't it obvious? Is it so, it's, it's as obvious as the nose on your face. And by the way, I've never seen the nose on your face before, but it's as obvious as the nose on your face where this man comes from. And of course, the impertinence drives them mad. And so back to lashing out, back to original sin, back to original blindness. This blind man, the formerly blind man, just threw shade on the Pharisees, and now the shade of the ones in darkness tries to get thrown back on the man who was blind. You were born in utter sin. Not just you were born in sin. You got a double dip of being born in sin. All of us may be born in sin. Utter sin for you, buddy. Why? How do we know it? You're blind. You were blind. Utter sin. Double dipped in sin you are, were not. And they kick him out. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Right in front of them. Truth for a lie. And so on the one hand, we've got this educated authority growing confused. And on the other hand, a poor blind man seeing physically, seeing spiritually. And Jesus finds him. He finds this man who has been thrown out, who has been excommunicated, who had never seen Jesus in his life. And he asks him this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the one who was expected, the one who is sent by the Ancient of Days? Do you believe in the Son of Man who will come to earth and who will establish a glorious kingdom of light? And the sign of the coming of this Son of Man will be the fact that the blind receive their sight. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? 
Who is he that I may believe in him? Jesus says, you've seen him. That's a, that's a weird way of phrasing this. You've seen him. No, he hadn't seen anything. He had seen him by faith. Faith was starting to awaken his eyesight so that he could perceive who Jesus was. You have seen him, and now I'm standing right in front of you. Now, here I am. I believe, Lord. And he bows down and worships. My friends, behold the clarity and the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. It's not dark. It's not complicated. A poor, blind man can answer the questions, and I'm not going to put any of the kids in the church on the spot right now, but I bet six-year-old children and up in this church could answer these questions that befuddled the religious leaders of the day. Who's Jesus' father? God. Where did he come from? Heaven. Who healed the blind man? Jesus. And kids, how long has Jesus been around? Well, forever, and he was born in Bethlehem. That's where he's from, you know. What must I do to be saved? Believe worship, confess. Confess that Jesus is the Christ. That's the confession that would have gotten you thrown out. And it's the confession that will save you. Jesus is the Christ. Confess, I was blind, but now I see. The line of demarcation is clear. It's a judgment line. Jesus came to save. He came as the light to save. But the inevitable result of light being in the world is that it exposes willful obstinance and darkness. When the light gets bright and you are in darkness, what do you have to do? You've got to turn away. You've got to shade your eyes. You can't take seeing that. And so, though he comes to save, the reality is it will be judgment for the people who are there who are listening to it because they can't take the light and they have to turn away from that light so that those who profess to see, those who profess to be wise, those with a thousand questions who won't believe in Jesus because they want to know about this and they want to know about that and I want to know all of these different reasons and I need you to convince me of everything, a thousand what-ifs. With respect to Jesus, they deceive themselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. They are blind. Jesus says, you are blind and your guilt, your sin remains. Because you say you see. Because you say we see. That's the indication that your guilt, that your sin remains. The script has been completely flipped from the beginning of the chapter. 
from the beginning of the story, now we understand the sin ultimately, finally at least at the end of the story, the sin doesn't belong to the man. The sin doesn't belong to the man's parents. The sin is not Jesus. The sin belongs to those and it remains on those who say they see who will not listen to this message that is proclaimed by the one who is the light of the world. Oh, my friends, may we never talk ourselves or think ourselves out of believing in the simplicity and the purity of Jesus in the name of being wise, of being well-educated, of being a person of the world, of keeping our options open, of being authentic to ourselves and authentic to the doubts that we have inside of us, uh, and in the name of seeing a little bit of truth and out there that's in all the religions of the world. No. No. That's from the father of lies. Confessing Jesus might cost us. It might cost us, and we don't know how the rest of the story, it might cost us alienation from parents, it might cost us excommunication from the people we know, from the people we love, from, from being in the hip and the in crowd, for being in the liberal. Uh, I understand the way the world works crowd. It may cost us a level of excommunication. If so, so be it. So be it. Keep it clear. Keep it true. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And your guilt and your sin will be removed. It'll be taken away. Keep the good confession and keep it simple. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. There is now a tree of life from which you can take a fruit and eat and see Jesus. It is the fruitfulness of the Word of God that proclaims to us the truth about God, the truth of Jesus that allows of us to eat, to see, and to live. Believe and confess. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Indeed, Jesus, we would be blind had you not opened our eyes. We would be lost in our sin, original and our own corruptions that have only added to it. Had you not bled and died, rose again from the dead to defeat sin and death and the father of lies. Thank you for life, for any who are here today. Open their eyes and let them see you so that today is the day they join a blind man or a formerly blind man in confessing the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.